Time to pre-show. It's a financial hour kind of week. Joining us for this hour, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. This is, uh, this thing just kind of, you know, if you're on YouTube all the time looking at stuff, things kind of roll up. Um, I guess they have an algorithm that says, you know, you might want to listen to this. And this is a group. Uh, called Jehovah Shalom Acapella. Six-member gospel vocal band from Kampala, Uganda. They all belong to the Seventh-day Adventist faith. The group started way back in 2006 as a singing group in high school before they identified themselves as Jehovah Shalom Acapella. Uh, and it's, you know, they, they're tight. I mean, I... I watched the video or I watched several of their videos and uh, they make me think of that. Uh, what was a group that we were playing during COVID that was doing uh, God bless the USA. Pentatonics. No. no. Um, something home. <laughs> home free. Home free. And uh, anyway, that those guys are, are very tight too. No instruments, all completely acapella but these guys um are all young they're probably all in their 20s 
And uh, or, I mean, they're probably in their 30s by now because they met in high school back in 06, so probably mid to late 30s. But I guess that's how they make their living. And uh, anyway, they – so we got another one in the second uh, half that, that will be uh, interesting as well. But uh, all right, I've got to come up with something from Scripture. Hold on. Since go. it is the first hour, we're kind of mixing it up this week. So Psalm 65, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas. That's Psalm 65, verses 1 through uh, roughly 7 and a half or uh, six and a half. So the reason we're doing two hours of purely financial stuff today is not because there's no news in the political world, but that we are a financial firm and there's a ton of news in our world. And um, a lot of it is good news. Some of it, though, is sad news. And I want to spend some time uh, talking about the death of Charlie Munger, who uh, just passed away at the age of, uh, of uh, 99 years old. Uh, I'm going to read Jason uh, Zwig, whom we've quoted a number of times over the years, who writes for the Wall Street Journal. This is, uh, I'm just going to read some of it because. Uh, it's um, it's it's pretty good. I looked at it earlier. Uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal. J- uh, Jason Zweig uh, posted it November 29th. Charlie Munger's life was about way more than money. It's 1931, and a boy and a girl, both seven years old, are playing on a swing set on 41st Street in Omaha, Nebraska. A stray dog appears and without warning charges the children try to fight the dog off somehow the boy is unscathed but the dog bites the girl's girl she contracts rabies and not long after dies the boy lives his name charles thomas munger charlie munger the brilliant investing billionaire who died on tuesday in a california hospital 34 days before his 100th birthday, told me that story. When I interviewed him last month, I'd asked the vice chairman of Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, what do you think of people who attribute their success solely to their own brilliance and hard work? I think that's nonsense, Munger snapped, then told his story, which I can't recall him ever publicly recounting. That dog wasn't three inches from me, he said. All my life, 
I've wondered, why did it bite her instead of me? It was sheer luck that I lived and she died. He added, the records of people and companies that are outliers are always a mix of reasonable amount of intelligence, hard work, and a lot of luck. I had the extraordinary good luck to get to know Charlie Munger in the past two decades. If you think his life was only about piling up money, think again. Few people have ever been wealthier in all the senses of the word than, than Munger was. Those who knew a little only about him think Munger was just a basically a stock picker, which he was, but those who knew him well consider him a moral exemplar, someone who showed how to think clearly, deal fairly, and live fully. He took nothing for granted. More than almost anyone I've ever known, Munger also possessed what philosophers call an epistemic humility, a profound sense of how little anyone can know and how important it is to open and change your mind, except regarding Bitcoin. Of course, many people regarded Munger as an arrogant curmudgeon like a hybrid of <laughs> Mr. Burns and Grandpa Simpson from The Simpsons, who'd been handed billions of dollars and one of the biggest microphones in the business world. In my whole life, no one's ever accused me of being humble, Munger admitted in 1987. Although humility is a trait I much admire, I don't think I got my full share. Munger, who graduated magna cum laude from Harvard Law School without ever earning a college degree, knew perfectly well how smart he was. And it's an understatement to say he didn't suffer fools gladly. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal in 2019, he used the phrase massively stupid at least seven times to describe other people and even entire professions. Now, I would never do something like that. Never. So, he was cocky, cranky, yelling at the clouds? No. If there was one thing Munger knew, it was himself. As he told me in 2014, Confucius said that real knowledge is knowing the extent of one's ignorance. Knowing that you, what you don't know is more useful than being brilliant. Munger and Buffett called this the circle of competence and often pointed out that the diameter of the circle doesn't matter. What does matter is making sure you don't fool yourself into thinking the diameter is wider than it is. <laughs> yeah. Problem is, if you don't get outside that every now and then, you never, you're never really going to know how stupid you truly are. That's why the two men had what they called their too hard pile, a mental dustbin into which they threw every investment idea they felt they couldn't understand. That's why Munger said investors should wait years or decades for a good idea at a great price and do nothing the rest of the time. I'll insert right there. This is Tom Dupree speaking. I think he was a little bit different than Buffett in that way. I think that Buffett sort of made the change probably with the Coca-Cola investment around 1992 that he was going to move away from 
cigar butt investing to investing in great companies, some of which, whether he says he didn't or did understand, he probably didn't fully understand, but he knew that they were just great businesses. Yeah, he There's att- no way anybody could be that smart. Right. And he attributed that to Munger, to getting him off the cigar butt approach and onto the... Okay, well, Munger, right, this basically makes it sound like, you know, he's just waiting for him to become cigar butts again, which... Well, he's waiting for a rel- a good price on a good company. On a good I think that's company. the context of it. Part of the reason I've been a little more successful than most people is I'm good at destroying my own best-loved ideas, Munger told the Wall Street Journal in 2019. I knew early in life that it would be a useful knack, and I've honed it all these years. So I'm pleased when I can destroy an idea I've worked very hard on over a long period of time, and most people aren't. Okay, that article goes on. I I recommend it to you. Um, I will say that for me, um, I always resisted investing in Berkshire Hathaway until the last little bit, which means I missed a lot of the move. I felt like I wasn't being thorough enough at my investment research if I just bought Berkshire and let them do all the heavy lifting and figure out what to buy and to own. And, And it cost, but I can't complain. We've done okay, but... Recently, having grown up with Warren Buffett, sort of the shadow of Warren Buffett, really my entire career, um, I can simply say that uh, I always enjoyed reading the um, annual reports watching when they started being able to film it uh some of the uh and and list there used to be there used to be a publication called outstanding investor digest i haven't seen it published in over 15 years can't think of the name of the guy they were very good friends with buffett and he would allow them to come in and basically transcribe what was said during the annual meeting because it wasn't filmed. I cannot remember that guy's name. I subscribed to it and actually got some other money managers I know of, some in this town, to subscribe to it. And, you know, people got a lot of ideas from it. Um, one of the first guys they had in there was Bruce. Um, Berkowitz. Yeah. Talking up Wells Fargo like 25 years ago. Huh. But they would go to all of the Berkshire meetings and, and Warren uh, Buffett would let them write the stuff down. And the funniest stuff was the stuff that, that uh, Munger said. Yeah. And um, so Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger had, I guess it can only be kind of described as a partnership. I mean, it was Warren Buffett's show, you know, he, yeah. he was the guy, but, um, Charlie Munger was, you know, kind of like his Bill Ambrose or something. You know, uh, he he was there. Uh, I mean, he. I don't. I I I wonder if Buffett. I don't. I bet Buffett didn't consult him on every idea, every business idea. But 
he would probably tell him after they'd done it or something. But I think that if he did t- discuss something with Charlie Munger and Charlie Munger felt like it wasn't a good idea, but I think he had a lot of trust in Buffett's genius, if you will. And so the ideas really came from Buffett, but Munger was a steadying influence. I can't explain really how sometimes I didn't feel like he added that much to the conversation but then when you look back on it, you realize he did. And yeah. and that was how he was kind of sneaky that way. Well, he was the he was the epitome of what the the right hand should be like. You know, yep. he was the stabilizing effect. He was he was there to give counsel, but it it, it wasn't ever he wasn't trying to fill cut to the bottom line. Cut to the bottom line. Not talk too much. Yep. And every now and then he'd go off. Yeah. On a topic like Bitcoin, for instance. And, and, you know, uh, but for the most part, he just was a steadying influence on, on, on Warren Buffett. And, you know, um, he didn't write a, now there was a company, I think it's called Wesco. Yeah. That, that was in, yes. uh, and it, I don't know that it's traded anymore, but Berkshire might've bought up all its, uh, the remaining stock that it used to be publicly traded. It was like a savings and loan out in California. And I think that Charlie Munger was the mm-hmm. president of that. And it, it wasn't much of a thing. I mean, it, you know, but, um, I think it's where C's candy came from. I may be wrong on that, but no, I, yeah. I, yeah. C's, C's candy was a California company and, and, Berkshire bought all of C's candy. Gosh, I bet it's been 50 years ago or maybe 40. Um, and of course, you know, a box of candy back then that was, uh, $3 and 50 cents is now $350. that's exaggerating, but candy has been an incredibly elastic pricing thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. there is no cheap box of candy anymore if it is you don't want it <laughs> yeah. i mean the, the really good candy is exorbitantly expensive now and you know c's candy is considered a premium thing well they've the industry uh i guess lobbyists have lobbied congress or lobbied the F, uh, fda to change the definition of what you know, pure chocolate or that you know this the finer grades of chocolate to where they could put more fillers in them and that's one way they've done uh, handled inflation they've made the product inferior so if you get a premium candy you're getting what the way candy used to be you know 30 years ago so they've changed right. all that but yeah. that's a story for another day yeah no i mean so he that idea may have come from there but munger really i wouldn't consider him an operating partner in the sense of you know day to day he didn't live in omaha right. i mean he he lived in california uh, he was more wise counsel, probably. Mm-hmm. Most of their conversations were not face-to-face, I'm sure. They were on the telephone. Munger li- moved to the West Coast probably back in the 50s or something. Mm-hmm. So they were, you know, they were they were friends, old friends as a childhood, but uh, but he was such a part of of what 
Warren Buffett became. I, I don't know what it'll be like for for Warren Buffett uh, going forward. How old is he? He's he's dad's age, ninety two uh, or three. Well, he's born in thirty, and dad was born in thirty, and and so uh, here we are at the end of the year. So he's he's ninety three, unless his birthday was on December twentieth or something. I don't know. I'm, so he's he's almost ninety three, or he already is ninety three. Um, but um, I just I tell you, my whole career has been the reason. I'm I'm going to tell you something about me. The reason I didn't buy Berkshire Hathaway early on is the same reason I didn't want to go to work for my dad. I wanted to try to figure it out how to do research on my own instead of just buy, you know, Berkshire and sit back and, 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 uh, count your money. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of true. And, and of course it didn't pay a dividend and it was weird the way it traded. And for years you couldn't really buy the a shares much. I mean, you know, because they got very expensive. They were tough to own. Uh, then I, well, how long ago did they, come out with the b shares 25 30 years ago yeah i think it was in the very late 90s early 2000s yeah so that was the time for a and i think they were in the 30 dollar share range at that point all right we're gonna pick back up where we're leaving off now you're listening to the tom dupree show this is an extended version of the financial hour powered by dupree financial group we'll be just we'll be back in just a few minutes stay tuned Hi, I'm Tom Dupree. You've heard me describe bonds as being timely investments lately. Recently, there have been numerous pieces of economic news which may be pointing to a recession. One of them is that credit card use among consumers has declined. Recessions almost always are accompanied by lower interest rates. Lower interest rates mean generally higher bond prices. At many times in the past, the best time to buy things have been when the outlook is unfavorable. For a no-cost, no-obligation examination of your retirement investment portfolio, call the Pre-Financial Group at 859-233-0400. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturday mornings at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at DupreeFinancial.com. Oh, my God. 
Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show for an extended version of our financial hour. Joining us, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. You know, it's funny when you click on one thing, then something else rolls up. And this is some guys in Harlem or somewhere at some kind of music festival in a stairwell just getting together as a quintet and they're just they're standing in a stairwell singing ave maria and i mean the acoustics are crazy good the the acoustics are good and the harmony is off the hook it is i mean think about it's very a it's almost atonal and it's not completely what do we call Dorian or Phrygian or Lydian or whatever the the, norm, mode, the mode. Yeah, the mode. It, it's it's a modal almost. It, it's really incredible. So you know, gig. Never know what you're gonna come up with. You might <laughs> might find a stock too. <laughs> anyway, all right. So we were gonna talk a little bit about. Um, you know, this can just kind of be a Charlie Munger hour and. And and you had Mike uh, a few uh, principles. I remember Adarsh Mashru when he worked here. He had a a big thick book uh, called uh, "Poor Charlie's Almanac," and it mm-hmm. was a lot of sayings of uh, Charlie Munger. And Adarsh was a big um, proponent of Charlie Mungerisms. So you were you kind of had that distilled down a little bit yeah and it was just some takeaways from this same article the jason zweig article which as a side note it's interesting zweig hasn't written an article for the journal for close to a year now probably seven eight months what have you been doing i know i mean Uh, and i was excited when i saw this (laughs) but he actually he was the editor for um uh uh Benjamin Graham's book uh, for one of the editions. Uh, Jason Zweig was an editor for that, and so he had a he has a huge respect for Buffett and Munger, and so it was refreshing to see him come back. And this was his first piece in so long. It's just you know it's kind of a, a tribute, if you will. But um, some principles that you can kind of take away from Charlie Munger, um, and really, I mean, this is from anybody that's earned a certain level of respect over their lifetime in just business dealings, life in general. Uh, but with Charlie, uh, Munger, the big one is to stay active. Um, you know, he was almost a hundred years old and he, his level of activity was just off the charts. So besides being 
Buffett's right hand. Uh, he was also chairman of the Daily Journal. He was a director for Costco. He was an active investor in Chinese companies. He was a partner in uh, one of Southern California's apartment developers. Uh, he got he got really interested in uh, China. Ar- in ar- in China and architecture later on in life. Um, and so he just he he was when I say stay active, he was always learning. Um, he was big on these models. He talked about models of thinking he thought everybody should have one or two or three that they like mathematics was one of them and you know everything and it's it's true i mean things kind of have a a language to them and Mm -hmm. and 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 certain models and that's what he was big on yeah and one of one of his caregivers said that uh, you know he still read dozens of books a year just you know just was this is in his last years of life. I mean, sure. just always learning, always staying active. Yeah. So, you know, that that's principle number one, stay active. Uh, there's no set date. It's like this is when, you know, you're done learning, you're done being useful. Uh, so always stay active. Um, Let me just add to that too. I think one of his motivators is, and I think this was Jason's intention to mention the way the article started about the, missing out like the near miss on uh, being bitten by a rabid dog that killed the girl he was playing with uh, back as a child. He probably definitely, well, I would have to think he realized that could have been easily him and he needed to make sure he lived his life to the fullest yeah. and not, not waste it yeah. well, you because know of that, the opportunity he was given. So, you, know, you know that line in uh, Saving Private Ryan, you know, when they finally get him, and Tom Hanks is sitting there, you know, uh, shot and having gone to save this guy. And he looks at him and just says, earn it, you know, and, and you know, that sticks with people. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's luck or providence, you know, it's, it, but it, I, I like the, the way the article ends uh, to this point. Um Jason Zweig asked him what he would might want for an epitaph in no more than 10 words. His reply, and this was just recently, he said his reply was immediate and full of humility. I tried to be useful. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's not, I was this, I did this. Right. It was, I tried yeah. to be useful. Um, so I, I, I like the humility. Um, and yeah. So the the circle of competence, um, I think that's an important concept because uh, markets investing has a bad habit of humbling you real quick. If if you try to if you think that you're too smart for something, um, you know. Let me you, just yeah. want to add some. When I was back in the eighties, uh, you know, I was in the bond business and. I mean, your rates were extremely high, and and these guys would play the long bond back then. I mean, the U.S. Treasury, I mean, it was yielding 8 to – it got up to 12% at one point, 12% yield on a long-term U.S. government bond, and they would trade the thing, and these guys would trade the long bond. And a lot of these guys were from Memphis and places. They'd put the bank in these long bonds. If the guy made some money, great. If not, he was stuck for a while, you know. But finally, everybody got bailed out because rates came down. But 
one guy said uh, there was an old saying or a saying, you can say what you want, you can do what you please, but the long bond will always bring you to your knees. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it's just this this idea that I don't know what it was you were saying. But well, no, go if. Listeners, if I you, wanted to get my thing in there, <laughs> listeners, if you didn't la- if about. you didn't listen to last week's financial hour, go back and listen to it. We were talking about Dave Ramsey and we're, staying in. We're his... re-airing it in the third hour. Ah, excellent, yeah. perfect. Stay tuned. Um, did we actually save those things? <laughs> I thought once they, we did them, we just erased them. So so stay t- stay it's tuned. It won't ruin it. But it's, it's talking about area of competence and people that and this is. You can be competent in one area of your life, an expert in one area of your life. That doesn't mean it translates over into other areas. Even in the financial world, you might be good at one thing and not good at something else. Right. Um, But to your point, Tom, uh, don't be so stuck in saying, well, that's outside of my area of expertise or my competency. Always be learning. Broad, you, you you broaden your knowledge base over time. You you build experience and you you observe things and gradually over time you do start building a, a, a area of expertise, a knowledge base. So always be trying to expand that. Um, so if if you've had a career in something uh, and maybe you have time, you're looking for something else right now. Um, it's it's not it's never too late to learn something new to be useful to be productive and uh, and and the i'm going to go off on a quick 20 second rant everything about quote retirement these days is just the opposite of that it tells you you know quit do this do that don't worry about it that's total bs and i've seen it up close and personal don't buy the advertising that says you need to just go sit on the beach. A lot of people do. And let me tell you, it looks good, but it doesn't always make you happy. All right, yeah. keep going. Uh, an, another principle is reputation. Um, I, I like this. They, they, he and Buffett, um, they called it a model of adaptive survival. And what they're talking about, um, Munger, he said, you want to – form a seamless web of deserved trust in which a company deals fairly with employees, customers, competitors, and other constituencies. So what that's talking about, that's, that's essentially reputation. That can be, you know, your personal reputation, the business reputation. He understood that, that you can do something uh, questionable short-term and, that, and then it blows up everything you've worked for your entire life. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. So reputation in business um, is crucial. Uh, you've, you spend decades building a reputation, and you don't want to um, compromise that in any way, shape, or form. Um, <coughs> another one is uh, long-term thinking, long-term investing. Um, that's how they've, you know, that's how Berkshire has operated, um, always is long-term thinking, not trading in and out of things. Now they do make trades, they adjust, uh, but they're not traders, uh, they're investors. Um, and I like, 
I like the analogy that uh, Munger used. He said, he mocked the marketing of short-term investing performance by telling a story about a man who walks into a fishing tackle store and sees a bunch of gaudy, iridescent lures. My goodness, they're purple and green, he says to the owner. Do fish really take these lures? The, no, sto- the yeah. store owner says, mister, I don't sell to fish. <laughs> so it's talking about, you know, marketing ploys and right. you know performance this and safety that what it gets down to and that, that this is what it's it's so that's this is why buffett and munger is so fascinating and berkshire is so fascinating performance has been there yeah absolutely but it's the process yeah that i mean that's what we're talking about right now we're talking about the the business process the investing process that they've gone through for decades and the evolution of that process over decades because things change and because they are willing to learn and adapt that they're still relevant and thriving berkshire the, the the only berkshire is i don't want to call it an accident in history but i don't think there's ever been anything in recorded history, certainly, like Berkshire. No. There's never been anything in the history of mankind. Mm. I mean, it's not just U.S. That's right. It's it's worldwide for thousands of years. There's I don't believe we've ever seen. Well, okay. You know, you could argue that, that, that maybe John D. Rockefeller or um, uh, uh, – one of those people assembled that kind of thing, but the rules were different back then. They were able to use a lot of things to their advantage. They could have monopolistic powers. So their way of accumulating wealth was different. You could go back to King Solomon. I mean, you know, that, yeah. now we're going way back in yeah. history. You know, he was considered the richest man that ever did. I've heard people say that if it were uh, today, he'd be worth over a trillion dollars just in terms of the gold and everything you own. But in terms of modern markets that had full disclosure, where it was an open playing field and one person didn't have a huge advantage over somebody else through monopolistic powers, a creation of modern, basically pretty full disclosure capitalism. Mm -hmm. We've never seen it before. That's right. And and to what? Of course, that's only been that way since, what, the Securities Exchange uh, Act. I mean, of 1937, you know, hadn't even been 100 years. Yeah. You know, that we're, we're insider trading. Of course. Unless you you're a be, member of Congress. Yeah, you got to be a member of Congress to be able to do that. <laughs> that's still allowed. But, but um, <laughs> before that. The markets were more slanted. I mean, you had books like Where Are the Customers' Yachts? You know, you didn't have people building up a million and plus $2 million. Somebody working that's kind of not educated in this way and have $2 million in your IRA mm-hmm. at the end of your thing. That didn't happen Yeah, to the average person. You know, the, the wealth creation. And so... Berkshire, as we know it, has been really uh, um, a function of 
modern or contemporary investment markets. Yeah. Well, and like Munger has said and Buffett, you know, a lot of things has to do with luck. You know, they, you don't control when you're born or the, the, the what's Correct. going on, but what this vintage is you what are. vintage you are. But that was the genius with Buffett and Munger being able to observe what was the, the conditions Moment of in the history market that they were in and they could observe that and then create this thing, which technically, I mean, it, 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 can go in perpetuity because yeah. this is a perpetual investment vehicle. Uh, so, I mean, you, you think of, you know, what we, what we talk about a lot is, you know, taking distributions, you know, you, your life savings, living on the income. Berkshire, the company's not like that because they're constantly bringing in new money uh, and they have the investment portfolio. So it's a, it's the perfect compounding machine. Yeah. And they saw the potential. As long as their underwriting as, continues to be good. Right. I mean, if they get it handed to, to them on some insurance deals, yep. then all bets are off. Yep. Now, I guess uh, Ajit Jain, he heads up their uh, yeah. insurance division. Yeah. Um, Greg Abel, you know, he's kind of the, the man on the wing, you know, waiting to step in right now. Yeah. Um, and they, they've both been there a long time. Uh, I forget which one of them uh, was kind of the 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 uh, instigator for the Apple position. It was one of them, I believe. I think it was Jane, but was I Jane? Don't, don't totally quote me on that. Abel's been in charge of their power, their uh, energy and and power business. That's uh, he's done very well with that or growing that. Uh, yeah. there a lot of people don't know that, but Berkshire Hathaway is like the second largest utility provider in this in the United States. That's right. Yeah. But so it's seeing what whatever the situation is you know where where you're born where you are in life it's seeing the opportunity uh at that time and that's exactly what buffett and munger did um but also the wealth creation you know capitalism it, it's not a zero sum game you Berkshire, through its investments, through what it has done, it has created wealth for people. That's right. It's not. It's not a casino type thing where it takes and you know zero sum game. This has actually created wealth, and it that's and to have the reputation that Buffett and Munger both have kept for decades. You know, businessmen shrewd at times when they have to be. Um, but it's it's been honest, transparent dealings, uh, and you know, sort of ab above reproach business wise. Yeah. Um, so that's you know, it, it, it's a, it's amazing, amazing. One story. of the things that I learned from them is you have to have an opinion on something. Now, and 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 if you have that opinion, you have to be willing to put some skin in the game behind your opinion. Buffett was not the kind of guy to call markets or call interest rates or say this is going to be this way or that's going to be that way. The one thing he had an opinion about, he said, you know, never bet against the American economy. He, he said that in a number of cases. I never really heard Munger say that, you know, because – I think he kind of had a little more of a cynical view on certain things. 
and he probably thought most people out there were idiots. But that was a good tempering thing to Warren Buffett. And as right. such, they were a, a great pair, and they will be missed as you, a pair. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Mike Johnson and Chad Sturgill. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. <laughs>